We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Apollo with Steve Ribeiro. Little Steve, they call him. Joining us this week for a midweek podcast, we're going to cover the Hall of Fame. We're a little bit late on this, and also we're going to talk a little bit of the Rams and free agency, and specifically Sammy Watkins. First and foremost, Steve, how are you doing? Doing great, man. I love Hall of Fame debates, so I'm very excited for this. You love a Hall of Fame debate like, you know, does Torrey Holt belong in the Hall of Fame, or when? A little bit of both. We're going to do both. A little bit of both. We're going to do both. Okay. Well, before we get there... I think they, uh, you know, I think they're hand-in-hand, right? Well, they are, yeah, they are, and it's getting interesting now, especially with this loaded 2018 class going in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So let's let's talk that before we do. iTunes, folks, 
please head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review. It'll enter you into a contest for a $50 gift certificate to NFLshop.com. Leave it. Please let us know. Um, If you have any feedback for us, too, that will keep you from giving that five-star review, please send us an email over to ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Android, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Join us. Follow us. Subscribe. We love having you on board. Okay, so let's talk about this Hall of Fame. You were out there doing the research today. We've been both following this whole process. We didn't think, I don't think anybody in the Rams fandom nation really ever believed that this was a year that either one of these guys would get in. Isaac Bruce does become a finalist this year, though. What are we looking at? So I did pull up a couple general stats before getting into the debate. There's only 17 wide receivers in the Hall of Fame. So it's a tight group. The receiver logjam, as we saw this year with Randy Moss and Terrell Owens both getting in and Owens taking three years, which is another topic for another day. But the logjam is starting to open up a little bit because six of the of the 17 receivers in the hall have been in the last six years. Only Randy Moss was first ballot, so it's a little bit harder to get in first ballot. T.O., Marvin Harrison, neither of those guys were. And the old, there's only been five first ballot receivers in NFL history. Moss, Jerry Rice, Paul Warfield, Steve Largent, and Raymond Berry. The NFL Hall of Fame only inducts five players from the modern era every year. And as you mentioned, the classes coming in are pretty stacked. N- without even thinking about the guys that were retained this year that didn't get in, including Bruce, there was also Ty Law, John Lynch, Alan Fanica, Kevin Mawai, Tony Baselli, Edron James, among others. Next year, a couple first ballot Hall of Famers, potentially. We got Champ Bailey, Tony Gonzalez, Ed Reed, London Fletcher, Brian Waters. Coming up in 2020, Patrick Willis, Troy Palomalu, and Reggie Wayne, who probably matters the most in this debate. And 2021, Calvin Johnson, also a factor. Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson, who are surefire as they come first ballot. And Honorable mention to our guy Steven Jackson, who's on the ballot in 2021. So, who do you want to start with, Bruce or Holt? Well, let's go with Holt. Holt, he didn't make the top 10 this year. Nah, yeah, wasn't a finalist. Uh, wasn't a finalist. His numbers are interesting. I think, I think he's a, I think he's as close to a first ballot Hall of Famer as you could find if he plays longer, if he stays healthy longer. And it's just that knee injuries that really kind of ended his career a little too early. He was he was as prolific as they came in the NFL in the 2000s. Where do you see him? Yeah, so I pulled his numbers and I pulled a couple guys I thought kind of compared to Dory Hall. Uh, all time, he's 21st in receptions, 16th in yards, 35th in touchdowns, seven Pro Bowls, which is a pretty solid number for receiver. Two-time All-Pro, one-time Super Bowl champ. He led the league in receiving yards twice, two of his seasons land in the top 15, the highest of all time, single season receiving. What strikes me most about Torrey Hall, and honestly, before I did this research, I wasn't sure if I had him pegged as a Hall of Famer, but what makes him believe he's a Hall of Famer to me is he had eight consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. He's got the Pro Bowls to match. He's got the All-Pros, and his average for all eight years was 94 receptions, 1,384 yards, and eight touchdowns. To average that over an eight-year stretch, is ridiculous, and he made the 2000s All-Decade team. The other three guys, 
at his position, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Marvin Harrison, they're all Hall of Famers. Now, he's been eligible for four years, and he's never been a finalist, which honestly is kind of surprising that he's never made the finalist in the ballot. They take about 17 or so guys for that. Two guys that I thought kind of fit the mold of Torrey Hall, Michael Irvin. Obviously, he had more of an impact, I think, you know, from a historical standpoint. He was on three Super Bowl teams, five Pro Bowls, three All-Pros. So more All-Pros than Hall, but less Pro Bowls. He's 54th in touchdowns, 27th yard, so he's much farther down on that. And he was inducted into his Hall of Fame on his third year on the ballot. And another guy who's not up yet, just thought I'd throw him out there as well, Chad Ochocinco, six Pro Bowls, four-time All-Pro, and his five-year peak was averaging 92 receptions for 1,374 yards and nine touchdowns. So Chad Johnson, who... It's probably not a Hall of Famer because he didn't have the longevity, not even the longevity of Holt. Torrey Holt basically averaged the same numbers for eight years that Johnson averaged for the five best of his career. And a guy like Johnson was an elite top three, I'd say, player for most of those five years. So what Torrey Holt did over an eight-year stretch is really impressive. And I, I really do think, I wish it was a matter of when not if with him but there's there's so many guys coming up and the fact that he hasn't been made a finalist yet i think it'll take a while for him i think it might too yeah that's the only thing really to me holds him back is the fact that it's eight years ish and his knee broke down if it's not that he it's it's cut and dry i mean who puts together seven straight thousand yard seasons who does that I mean, it's, it's such a rarity, even in today's pass-happy league. I, I just don't see how that's possible. Now, one scenario to me that kind of comes to mind with Holt and Bruce, for that matter, is while there are there are Hall of Fame classes coming up, which we will probably see at least one, if not two, first-bout Hall of Famers, next year's class, I think it's pretty clear Tony Gonzalez is the first-bout, right? We, we can say that. Yeah, okay. I I think Champ Bailey and Ed Reed both should be, but I'm not sure if they're both going to be. Okay. Well, I think I I don't think I, I don't. Think I think Champ Bailey might. Bailey I don't think Ed Reed's going to be. No, I think th- Champ I Bailey is. Around. I don't. No, I'm not saying he won't be a Hall of Famer. I'm no, saying, but, I don't yeah, think it's yeah, a first bout. I do think Ed Reed will be because what Ed Reed did at his position for as good as he was for all those years and Baltimore especially, the way he manned that position, it would be hard for me to say no. Tim is a first battle guy. So to me, Tony Gonzalez, Ed Reed. And then I think you fill in a lot of the finalists from this year for those final three slots. So I think we'll see some movement out of that log jam in 2019, but then you have 2020 come. Who are the guys from 2020 again? The three I pulled were Patrick Willis, Troy Palomalo, and Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne will, it'll be close between him and Hall. He might get the nod, but I'm not sure. I'm not really sure how how well he's going to stack up in that conversation. I, I think Paul Amalo's a first ballot. Yeah, and I Willis might not be, but he'll be in a conversation. He was no, I don't, I don't short think career, he's... but he had a big peak. Had a big peak, and then it just broke down. I don't see him as being a first ballot guy. Hall of Famer probably, but a first ballot guy, no. I got to think that if it comes down to Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt, Holt wins out. 
just to, just to longevity to the fact that they've been waiting longer for Tory Holt. I don't see yeah the the comparison there is they're close, but for the large portion of Reggie Wayne's career, that first part of it, he was the number two receiver behind Marvin Harrison. Whereas, literally, after one season with the Rams, Torrey Holt and, and Isaac Bruce became 1A and 1B, interchangeable. And I'm so, like, it was never a 1 and 2, you know, he's a second option. It was always a, a, a question mark in terms of who's covering those two guys because they were both so stinking good. Marvin Harrison, at his peak, man, the, the, the speed he brought in the field, I, you know, Reggie Wayne really was able to develop behind him to his credit, but then that's two, three years as a number two, you know, a real number two. I just don't see, I give I give Torrey Holt the edge. Maybe I'm a little biased there, but I also well, see it as he's wait, been waiting longer. That's what I think. Too. Yeah, looking at their career numbers, Reggie Wayne is higher and everything, but played an additional three years. So you got to think if Torrey Holt plays a year longer or two, He's ahead of him, and uh, if you stack up their peaks, Holt's numbers are better. And they made similar Pro Bowls, similar amount of All-Pro teams. So they really are, I'd say, on the same playing field here. And I think if Holt, if he gets in before Holt, and if he gets in that quickly, it'd be kind of surprising, especially consider, considering the receivers in the logjam that we're dealing with. Well, the, Holt, who else, is in, who else comes up after him? You mentioned... Charles Woodson. Yeah, Charles Woodson and Peyton Manning are about as surefire as it gets. And that's in 2021. And Calvin Johnson comes up in 2021, who, if we're talking about peak versus longevity, he's in the peak conversation. And as much as I love Torrey Hall, it's hard to argue that his peak was higher than Calvin Johnson's. You can't. It was longer, but... You can't argue that. No. And he's he's another interesting one, because... He really, I mean, what he he only played for nine years. Uh, Holt played for what eleven, something like ten that. or eleven. But he was so good in those in those years. He never really had an off season. His last six years, he had a thousand yards and he had double digit touchdowns in three of them. So if Holt's not in by then, it'll be tough. And then you got to think coming up after that, you're going to have guys like Steve Smith. Anquan Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald, guys that are, you know, in the mix that if he doesn't get in by that point, it it'll look bleak. I think he gets in before Anquan Bolden gets in. I think, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's a different story. Yeah. Steve Smith is the one that's a much bigger debate. I I do think he gets in over Anquan Bolden. I mean, just timing wise, I think what they're doing is they're making these guys wait. So they're making them wait. And so I look at it and go, well, Tory Holt, he's been waiting now three years. That time's coming. I just, where does he fit in with the rest of those classes? But let's just, let's we'll, we'll stop one second. Is he a Hall of Famer? I think he should be, but no, with no, no, how? No, 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 Steve, Steve, is he? Is he a Hall of Famer or not? I think he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. So we're laying it out there. And just, just to give, just to kind of lay out the stats for you, um, for those who are listening, Tory Holt. In his rookie year, it's, it's an okay campaign, 52 catches, 788 yards. The next year, 82 catches, 1,635 yards, 19.9 yards per catch. Follows up with 81 
catches next year, 91 catches next year, 2003. His best season, 117 catches for 1696 yards, 12 touchdowns, falls up falling with 94 catches. The next year, 102 catches and 93, and then 93 again. This is crazy if you look at that stretch. It's not just saying, hey, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years of 1,000 yards receiving in a row. It's not just that. It's the fact that he did this with the numbers he had in those eight years, going down all the way from 2000 to 2007. The average there, the math, I mean, I'm not math whiz or anything, but you got to think it's right around 92, 93 catches a year. That's bananas. Yeah, I have the averages for that eight-year stretch. It was 94 receptions, closing in on 1,400 yards, and eight touchdowns per year. For eight years, that's wild. But the fact that he hasn't been a finalist yet in four years is it's tough to predict when he'll get in because of that. You know, once we get to Isaac Bruce, he's at least been a finalist the last two years. So you got to think he's on track. But for Holt, for Holt to be on the ballot for four years and not be a finalist is kind of alarming for his case. It was really alarming. I, I don't know what else she can do to make the case other than just look at the numbers and down the line. And the, yeah. the truth is, if he isn't, he has a little bit of injury problems from 2005 on. If he stays healthy for the next five years, his numbers are even better. And by better, I mean his last year in the NFL, Jacksonville, he still caught 51 passes. Yeah. And yeah, I'm with you. If, if he gets, you know, two to three more years in there at any level, even if he's averaging like 500 yards a year, he hops up on all these lists, you know, pretty close to where Isaac Bruce would be ranking. Torrey Holt ended his career with 13,382 yards. Bruce is at 15,208. So if Torrey Holt had a 1,000 more yards, he would rank 10th right now. And right now he's sitting at 16th, so it hurts him a little bit. But, you know, I think it's crazy that he hasn't been a finalist yet. Edger and James... Oh, a little. Well, it hurts him a lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It hurts him a lot. I, you know, I just look at that. And, you, and then you can, now you can start pulling Isaac Bruce in here, too, because now we're actually comparing those numbers. And what is the one thing that Isaac Bruce has on Torrey Holder? It's just longevity. Yeah. If you put, I don't, as great as Isaac's numbers are, he doesn't do eight straight years like Torrey Holt does. He doesn't no. do it. He doesn't. And we could get into Isaac Bruce's resume now, and we could hit that debate, and then we could kind of circle them all back together. Bruce, he's higher on the list. He's 13 in receptions, fifth in yards, which is crazy, 12th in touchdowns. He had seven 1,000-yard seasons, so less than Torrey Hall, actually. Four Pro Bowls, one All-Pro, Super Bowl champ, had a couple iconic plays in that Super Bowl. He was the 1995 leader in receiving yards which was the fifth highest single season total in history and he didn't make the pro bowl that year which is crazy if go back and look at that 1995 season if you want to check it out because the pro bowlers in that season were just absolutely insane numbers wise that bruce you look at his numbers you didn't see he's not in the pro bowl it's mind-blowing so in fairness i'm gonna give him a fifth pro bowl we're gonna say five-time pro bowler because 
That's about it. It's about as I like. If you look it up, it's it's nuts. You're, that. you're talking about your truth right now. <laughs> this is my truth. Well, no, Fifth but Pro like, Bowler. it's like um, so. There's years in the NBA where a guy could have an insane year, like top of the line stats. He could be third in scoring, fifth in rebounding, whatever, and he could be second team All Pro because he's not doing better than LeBron and Kevin Durant. It was pretty much like that in that he really had no chance behind the guys that were ahead of him there. His anyway, anyways, Bruce's three year peak was 76 receptions for 1247 yards and nine touchdowns. That was of course from 1999 to 2001. If he doesn't make the Hall of Fame, he would be the highest ranking player in receiving yards to not be in the Hall out of guys that are eligible and Right now, the highest is Henry Ellard of eligible guys at 15th. Now, there's some guys above him that might not get in. We mentioned Anquan Bolden, Reggie Wayne. But fifth all-time in receiving yards, it's crazy because he was, for his career, you know, Torrey Hall probably had a better and longer peak, but those numbers stand out. And one player I wanted to compare him to, and let me know if this is a stretch, but I thought he compared well to Curtis Martin, who was fourth in rushing yards, 13th in rushing touchdowns, five Pro Bowlers, three-time All-Pro, one of the best running backs in the league for a long time, probably was never the best, and he got into the Hall of Fame on his second year in the ballot. I thought Bruce's numbers kind of compared well to him, and that's what really leads me to believe that he's he's going to get in at some point. Well, I, it's hard to compare when you're going from running back to receiver, the running game to me has always been more valued in the NFL than the passing game has been. Yeah. So I'm not sure I can make that comparison. And I also, do you remember seeing Curtis Martin play? I actually do, but mostly on the Jets. I know he was a monster. He was, but he was also, he, he was so soft-spoken that he flew under the radar a lot. So it actually surprises yeah. me that he got in on the second ballot. I think he had a lot of respect for that reason, like you said. He did. He was very respected across the league, and the guy made plays, and he made a lot of plays that you wouldn't think he would he would have made, and he made them. And so, I I also would say in that respect, I don't, I'm not sure. I think he deserves to be in as a second ballot Hall of Famer. So why was he in? You go back and look. Well, who else is in that class? Who else is he up against? Sometimes it just comes down to the fact that you're against a stat class. I want to I want to make a case here. I want to make a case right here about. Tory Holt, not Tory Holt, I'm sorry, Isaac Bruce. Because looking at his numbers, if you're going to go dominance and compare him to Holtz, Holtz are more dominant. So longevity matters here. But the the individual dominance, I can go back to 1995. and 19, In 1995, this is the Rams' first year in St. Louis. They are coming off four really, really bad seasons, and they're about to be bad the next season after that. He catches 119 passes for 1,781 yards. He was the Rams' offense that year. And he didn't make the Pro Bowl. And he didn't make the Pro Bowl. He was the Rams' offense that year. I'm serious. I mean, with what he did that year in the passing game, there was no other receiver really there. There, There was nobody. So... He was the number one target any time the Rams played. He was, he was playing the opposing team's number one corner. Then people don't 
really understand how dominant that year was in 1995. Yeah. It was dominant. He he had Chris Miller as his quarterback. It Chris was Miller. the fifth highest single season in the history of the league. At the time, it was second, only behind Jerry Rice, who did the same year. Well, that's the thing is he got Jerry Rice. Yeah. So I, I just look at it and go, well, the following year, it's 84 catches, and he leads the league in receiving yards, which is unbelievable. I mean, he actually has 400, almost 450 fewer yards the year later, a year later, and he leads the league in receiving. Go figure. Just go figure. Then he has a couple of years. I think what really hurts him is from 97, 98, combined, he has 88 catches, injuries. He only plays 17 games combined, those two games. Latter part of his career in 2005. From that point forward, he has some injuries here and there as well. So, Isaac Bruce had definitive years where he was hurt. And the numbers show it. And overall, though, I can look. Here's, this is where I'm going. I'm kind of being long-winded about this. I'm sorry. Looking at where Isaac Bruce was and looking where he was voted this year, I'm going to make an argument. It might not be a good argument. But I believe the only reason why he did not make the, the final 10 this year, and he didn't make the final 10, by the way, in the Hall of Fame voting, is because two receivers got in. I don't believe Hall of Fame voters are, are ever, ever going to put in more than two receivers in a Hall of Fame class. So once they got their two guys, they just voted for other people. I think on that point, because these receivers were so good, and well, first of all, it should have never came down. It's terrible and should have been... At worst, second ballot. But you got Randy Moss and Terrell Owens, and they both had the peak and the longevity. And Bruce had the peak that, like you mentioned, was great, but it wasn't as long, but he also had a ridiculous longevity. So, yeah, I'm with you on that point. And to make us feel better about how long it takes some receivers, but keep in mind that it took Chris Carter six years to get into the Hall of Fame. He made eight Pro Bowls, three All-Pro teams, 13th in yards, fourth in touchdowns. So it just... It does take a while sometimes. And when we talk about peak versus longevity, which I think will benefit Hall, they do value longevity. We mentioned Curtis Martin. Take a look at him compared to a guy like Terrell Davis, how long it took Davis to get into the Hall of Fame. Meanwhile, Curtis Martin was second ballot. It's They do value longevity. And I think where Bruce ranks all time in those stats, how long he was a good player, and that at one point he was one of the three or four best receivers in the NFL. I think it they does work in its favor, and it's going to be tough to sneak in between these class, but I do think he'll get in before that 2021 class comes up. Now, another, another point to make about, about Bruce as well is he joins the Rams in 94, bad team, 95 a bad team, 96 a bad team, 97 a bad team, 98 a bad team. Then at the end of yeah. his career, 2005, 2006, seven, and then he moves on to the 49ers. Those are some bad football teams with some bad quarterbacks. And he still wound up compiling numbers he compiled. A lot of years with bad quarterbacks and bad offenses. So that argument has to be part of the equation. And I'm going to make it, you know, you mentioned Chris Carter. Chris Carter had great numbers. What if Jerry Rice and Chris Carter flipped spots? What if... Chris Carter played for the Vikings, I mean for the 49ers, and Jerry Rice plays for the Vikings. I think Chris Carter is in quicker. I still think Jerry Rice is 
Well, yes. Close to as good. And that's where I'm going, okay? Yeah, okay, yeah, I that's think, a fair point. I think if you go there, make that switch, Chris Carter is a first ballot Hall of Famer, and might, we might be calling him one of the best receivers to ever play the game today. We might call him the best, because he was that good. Yeah. At his peak, Chris Carter was that good. Okay? Now, flip it around. If Isaac Bruce, from 1994 to... 2005 plays for oh, the 49ers for his first six years. They were so good. And then moves on somewhere else. If he's a flip situation where he's in dominant offenses, where are his numbers? Yeah, that, I mean, you could even say yeah. it like this. What if Bruce's career started when Torrey Holtz did? Even when Torrey Holt was on bad teams at the end of the career, Mark Bolger was much better than those guys Bruce was playing with early in his career. Sure was. And if we're going to think about quarterbacks, 1994-95, even Chris Miller, T.J. Rubley's in there somewhere. Tony Banks. Tony Banks, who who's a good guy. Don't get me wrong, Tony Banks, but Tony Banks never really made it in the NFL. It's just quarterbacks who just didn't do the job in terms of, of making an impact in the league. I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think Isaac Bruce gets in. I just don't know when. I, I have to think... I want to say 2020. Yeah, I think, I think 2020 will be his best shot. I think it will clear up a little. You know, next year's gonna to be tough because we mentioned those three guys: Gonzalez, Ed Reed, even Champ Bailey. You know, you got to think at least two of those three get in, and then there's guys this year that I think were more deserving. I think John Lynch gets in there. I think Vanica gets in there before him. But I do think 2020, I do really think Palomalu is the only surefire first ballot there. And I do think at that point, he'll, you know, Reggie Wayne is no way a first ballot. So him coming in really affects Holt more than it affects Bruce, I think. I think they'll get him in that year. It'll have been a year since they've inducted a receiver. I think they want this log jam to end, and I I think that will help him out. Holt's going to get in. It just went. Yeah. It's an uphill battle. I agree. Coming into this, I, I wasn't. I was going to lean towards that he wouldn't be in, but that peak is really damn impressive. And what really stuck out to me was that, you know, if you look at Steven Jackson's numbers, he had eight thousand yard seasons, but a couple of them were squeakers. Like he squeaked into that a thousand yards. With Torrey Hall, he was in the Pro Bowl pretty much every year, and he was averaging close to fourteen hundred yards during that stretch. With Jackson. If I had to guess, it would be at most 1,200. And he only made three Pro Bowls. So Holt was, for a long time, was really good. And it's, you know, it's crazy because in a sport like basketball, their Hall of Fame is a little bit easier to get into. Holt's resume is resembling Tracy McGrady's. And McGrady was a first bout Hall of Famer. So it's just, the football Hall of Fame is tough to get into, man. Well, there's so many players. I mean, 54, start 53 players on, on a roster yeah. per year. People come and go. It, that's just more players. There's more to choose from. There's more stars to choose from. The, the Pro Football Research Association actually does a hall of very good for the, the good players <laughs> who just weren't quite Hall of Fame level. And, yeah. you know, it's for that reason because there's just so many really, really good players out there. And then you bring up another name. I guess it's going to be a debate for another day, and that is Steven Jackson. When does Steven Jackson get in? Does he get in? He's going to be an uphill battle. But 
like with Hull, eight straight 1,000-yard rushing seasons on really bad teams. So his resume is impressive. I My gut tells me on him that he won't get in, but I think we'll see how the ballot shakes out. You know, maybe one year he'll sneak in there. I don't know. I, with him, though, I think it's a lot tougher. But like you said, we could get deeper into that another day. Oh, geez. I mean, he's the Rams' all-time leading rusher. I mean, how do yeah. you— the all-time leading rusher of a, of a legacy franchise. I'm not that's, sure how you that's can true. how you can never put him in playing behind bad offensive lines, playing against eight-man fronts for bad quarterbacks. <laughs> that's a toughie. And I think what might benefit him is his era didn't have as many dominant running backs as previous eras have. So, whereas with wide receivers, there wasn't as many dominant during the 70s, 80s when it was a running back dominant league. So Steven Jackson might benefit from his longevity during an era where not that many running backs were experiencing longevity. But with him, too, it's it's tough because you think about like guys in his tier, you know, guys like Arian Foster, that kind of player. You'd have to really dig through those guys and see if he's deserving over, you know, that type of player. Is Steven Jackson plays for the Steelers during that time frame? Oh, yeah. Same question. So no, he was so dominant. Uh, he he could take over cans. We get we got to the debate for another day. There is another thing on our agenda today, but before we get there, let's go ahead and talk about our sponsors, the Golden Ram Barbershop out there in Westminster, California, 1375 Golden West Street, Westminster, California. Give them a call at 714-894-7267. Owner Sal Martinez does a great job for you. has had that place open since the day the Rams left for St. Louis, kept the door on, I mean, sorry, the door open, the lights on, kept everything together. Has this museum to Rams football. Go in there, have the old school barbershop talk. We, we've been there. We've done it. It's great conversation. It's a great place to visit. Give them a call. 714-894-7267. Promo code Rams Talk. Hours open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Saturday open 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Close on Sundays. That's 714-894-7267 for the Golden Ram Barbershop. Can I ask one question to close this out? And you don't have to elaborate on this. You just do a one-word answer. Hall of Fame aside, whose resume is more impressive to you, Bruce or Hall? Hall. I agree. And it's crazy that it seems like Bruce is going to get in much before him. But we hash that out. We can move on. It's just eight years in a row, man. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, that's that's not a slight in any way towards Isaac. Not at all. It's just... No, of course not. It's not. Okay. So, we have a hard time letting that one go. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> we we do want these guys. But they are both deserving, and I do hope we see them in there soon. For for those of you who enter, uh, who, who talk with us a bit on in the Twitterverse, we will on occasion get into debates. We had a... We have another... Another podcast posed the question, another website posed the question about trading Simpy Watkins to Detroit for cornerback Darius Slay. Now, there's all kinds of issues with that that thinking. A, Watkins is a free agent. You'd have to franchise him and then trade him. B, you franchise a guy who, you know, who did struggle in his year here for a player, Detroit I'm pretty darn sure would not let go. He is a pure shutdown corner, one of the rarities in the league today, one of the best young players in the league. But the deeper argument here, 
that I kind of want to talk this through with Steve is how valuable is Sammy Watkins right now? How valuable is he to this team? Sport track has him at a market value of $5.9 million a year. And we're talking about the possibility of the Rams franchising Watkins this year as, as kind of a show me thing. Show me you can do this. Show me you'll be a star here. We'll give you. We'll pay you long term. Where do you see Sammy, Steve? I think if that guy gets paid less than eight million dollars this year, I will be shocked and stunned. I think six million is incredibly low given how much receivers have been getting paid. Other, I, so moving on from that, I think he had more value this year than people will give him credit for because of his numbers. I think for whatever reason, him and Goff never established the rapport that he had with Woods and Cup, and maybe that's because Watkins came in a little late. But just having a guy like that, that's as raw talent as Watkins is, makes defenses have to respect that fact. During the the dark ages of the Rams, and I wrote an article – uh, you can find our Rams talk about receivers we had during that 10-year stretch in between 1,000-yard seasons. Tory Hall was the last one until Kenny Britt, of all people, broke it. And a lot of those players were good players that were playing at a level above what they should have been at. We had guys that would have been respectable wide receiver twos, would have been respectable wide receiver threes, that were being ones and twos. And when... You know, defense's primary focus is a guy like Danny Amendola. They're going to stop the passing game. Now, when you bring in a guy like Watkins and they have to pay attention to him, and I do think he's a wide receiver one. Is he high on the spectrum of wide receiver ones? Of course not, but he's on it. And when you have a guy like that, you have to respect him. And when you don't respect him, he'll get that deep play like he had against the Giants, like he had a couple times against the 49ers. And that's when you have to remember that this guy – is still the most talented, just straight, pure receiving talent and dangerous on this offense, and we had to respect him. And that opens it up for guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup to really tear defenses apart in the middle of the field. You have to respect that Sammy Watkins is there, and I think on that alone, should we franchise him? That's a tough tag, and we have a lot of players coming up that we need to pay, but I think if if his reported market value is... 5.9 I'd be happy if we move on from Tavon and then pay Watkins around Tavon money hopefully a little less because that contract was crazy but we pay Watkins 10 11 million a year depending on how the other salaries work out I'm fine with that I think he was really important part of this offense even if the numbers don't show it I think it comes down to what Watkins really thinks of himself <laughs> is he in his mind is he a pure elite number one and if so, yeah, he's gonna go look for it, and somebody will somebody will give him close to what he wants. I'm not sure he'll get exactly what he wants, or is he more realistic in his numbers? I do think the smartest. I mean, and you and I are gonna differ here. I do think they should. I I think they should tag him. I wouldn't be mad about it if they tag him. I and, really wouldn't have a problem with it. And I'm gonna explain why. I'm gonna explain this as best I can say. I am a scarred Rams follower. I've been there and done that, worn the t-shirt. I know what it's like to watch this Rams team over the course of, was it 2007? 2007 was the last time they had any semblance of a number one receiver. Yep. And that's what he is. 
you said it pretty well. He is a number one receiver. He might not be the highest level number one, and he probably, and my, I believe he can be, by the way. if um, As I'm watching film on him, some of the routes he runs are insane. Okay? He 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 really does. And I and in this Twitter quote unquote discussion we had the other day, the person kind of poked at me for saying what's well, all he does is stretch the field. Listen, routes he runs pulls defenders away. He makes it possible for Robert Woods and Cooper Cup to eat. He makes it possible for his tight ends to eat. Don't tell me Cooper Cup and Robert Woods did not benefit from Sammy Watkins being the lineup this year. It's crazy that people actually think that. It's like that's like you said, we've watched this team when there's not that guy, and like there were decent receivers here that were just playing over what they should have. Even at, like a guy like Stebbin Bailey, he would have been a great third option in any offense, and we had him some games he was our top receiver, and you know, he wasn't as scary enough to not adjust to that. Sammy Watkins, he I don't think he could ever be in the tier of guys like Antonio Brown and Hopkins and like that, but he could be in the tier below that, no question. He could be in the Alshon Jeffrey, T.Y. Hilton kind of tier, no question. He's a really talented player, and if franchising him is what it's going to take to keep him, I, I have no problem with it. I think if he's happy with what his role on the team was last year and it works with Goff to improve, you know, his numbers are obviously going to go up, but as long as he doesn't want to be, you know, fed, fed, fed and was enjoying winning last year and scoring when they needed it, I, I think he'll be happier. And I think either way, if he gets franchised, I think I can't imagine him holding out after a 600-yard year. Got to remember this. Got to remember that Sammy Watkins joined the Rams in August. Yeah. Which is, what, four months, almost four months after Jared Goff first started working with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods in camp and so on and so forth. By the time training camp came around, they already had their rapports. They already had they already had their relationships on the field. That stuff takes time. And you're not going to build that rapport in the midst of a season when you got other things going on. It's just not going to happen. So my guess, my belief is you attach these two to the hip. Jared Goff and Sammy Watkins are best buddies this offseason. And we come out there and we see the Sammy Watkins I know because I'm going to differ a little bit. I think Sammy Watkins can be that elite guy. I think he's. A, I think at his potential, he's higher. He's a step higher than than Ty Hilton. He's a step higher than a couple of those other guys you mentioned. I really believe yeah. that. I've been watching him play since college. I've been watching him. I saw him beat up my Buckeyes man in the Orange Bowl. It was brutal. Just I mean, and he dominated <laughs> the Ohio State. Always has loads of NFL talent. And he dominated that game. You get him the right quarterback, which is to me, Jared Goff's the right quarterback. It's the best quarterback he's ever had. You give him in that right system, and they're in the right system, and you give them time. That's what they were missing. Give them time, and I think we're going to see great things out of Watkins this year. I think they would be absolutely stupid to let him go when they just went a decade without having the guy, a guy who could do that. Who can run routes like he can? Who can make defenders look stupid like he can? I really believe that. I would much rather have him here than him not being here. He he definitely opens up the field a crazy amount, and he's talented. And like you said, he got here in August. I think give him even a preseason with Jared Goff, and 
I think they're going to figure it out because they're both too talented not to. And Sean McVay is too smart to – if Sammy Watkins is here, they're going to give him the ball more than they did this year. I, I have no doubts about that. Well, going back and looking at that film, I've been mentioning that. I've been going through it. And I have to be honest, Watkins does make some mistakes there. He, he On certain routes, he pulls up a little early. There's also miscommunication issues. That, that happens when you're building that new relationship. I get it. The early idea that I've been I've seen from many fans, we have one guy on Twitter who follows, good guy, Bill, Bill's reality's name is on Twitter, and he is like a total Sammy Watkins fan. <laughs> Love he it. He makes this case. He, he, I mean, he adores Sammy Watkins. He followed Sammy Watkins to the Rams from the Bills. He's just stuck with him, okay? And we, we've had this debate a bit, and I agree with him after watching film for the most part that Sammy has that elite talent. He's there. But also in watching film, what I've seen is Sammy pulls up once in a while. He makes a bad move once in a while. And the first inclination is always a Blaine Goff. Young quarterback making bad reads. And okay, Goff did make some bad reads. But we cannot let Watkins off the hook. He made some mistakes in that passing game last year too. Give him an offseason. Let them form that relationship. Let them get on the same page. And I'm telling you, we're going to see a different offense next year, a better one. Yeah. And I think really if you can get Watkins involved as a real threat and not just a decoy, which he mostly was last year, which was fine. It really opened things up. But you got him as a top 15 performing wide receiver, maybe even top 10. And you got you pair that with Todd Gurley if he performs you know, 90% of what he was this year. Pair that with the – Jared Goff, who seemingly should improve, you know, the strides he made from last year to this year were ridiculous. And if he can make a couple more, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. That offense is exciting. And I really hope we get to see it with Sammy Watkins. And if franchising is what it takes, the franchise tag for receivers last year was a little under 15 million. That's only five more than five more million than we paid Dave on last year. Take the upgrade. <laughs> no. I understand there's the capologists here who would be upset with that. Listen, I know that some decisions have to be made. I know that the Rams will have to get creative in how they keep their books this offseason to make that happen with Watkins. I also know that it might mean letting Tremaine Johnson go. I get that. I get that. I just call it that emotionally scarred Rams fan who watched them go 10 years without that guy. And I also want to point out one more thing about that offense last year. This is a Rams team that scored 478 points. And you know what? Tell me I'm wrong. But tell me, were there not games in that Rams offense that did not look good? That it that was much... They had to work for those 478. The argument might be that it came easy for them. No, it's not. There were a lot of games they were off. They weren't right. And a lot of that was because they, they were not able to get downfield. And they were not, in some games, able to open up that deep threat the way we want them to. Watkins can do that. And what I'm saying here at the root is, this offense is still only in its infancy. It's only just starting to figure it out. The sky's the limit. 478 points for an offense that's young at the skill positions, with a lot of room to grow, with a young coach. Don't let that guy go now. And you mentioned Tremaine Johnson. We're a lot better at replacing cornerbacks than we are receivers. I would love to have both of them, but 
if we had to pick one, I I really think you got to go with Watkins. Tremaine would be a huge loss, especially with how he played last year, but we're better at finding cornerbacks than we are receivers. Less need for all the great picks he's done. He is terrible at picking receivers. Cooper Cup was literally the first like net positive that he's had that really shown up. Now, Brian Quick, I, d- I don't even think I need to name another one. Bri- we took Brian Quick in the second round. Well, they've never found out really how to use our receivers. Yeah. And, how much and that's because Jeff there's Fisher. never been a guy like this as well, I think, as part of it. The argument to me that you will just let this guy walk is is bad. Now, the argument that you would franchise and then trade him is worse. <laughs> I just, I, no offense to the, to the guys on the other side. I don't, I don't mean any disrespect towards them at all. It just, it's not a good argument to me. It's just not one you make in thinking that it can even happen. Teams aren't stupid. They're not stupid. And the worst takes are when you take a player who underachieved and say you should trade him for a guy that's not available. It happens in basketball all the time. They're like, let's trade all these assets for Anthony Davis. Well, you can't trade for Anthony Davis because they're not trading Anthony Davis. So what? Like, it's an unnecessary hypothetical. I think we tend to do that in the media in general. In any All kind the time. Of we really sports do. Media, we're, we start getting off the fancy land, whether it be in baseball, basketball, football. And here's the worst thing about doing it in football. Trades are rare. Yeah, much we're more than like we're, we're talking like it's one thing if it's baseball and you have 45,000 trades going off the trade deadline. In the NFL, you might get four or five good trades a year. Four to four to five really notable trades, and I'm not talking draft. I'm just talking four to five player to player trades. That that's so rare. And then you're going to go out there and throw things out there as if Detroit doesn't have a brain. Do you think Detroit's going to let Darius Slay go? No, not going to let Darius Slay go. I'm ranting. (laughs) I like it. And yeah, how often does a receiver like Sammy Watkins become available? And also, we did give up a second round pick to get this guy. We might as well franchise him and give it another year. And if he produces similar numbers. If he can't get a rapport with Goff, maybe it's not worth paying him the money that they're going to want. But I really think it. I think it really depends on what Sammy Watkins wants to do. If he, if he enjoyed his time here, I'm sure he likes living in L.A. I. No, I think he'd want to be here. I think he does want to be here. I think he does too. I mean, I think he would have made a much bigger fuss during the season last year about his numbers if he didn't enjoy being there. I think he has enough people in his life telling him, listen, man, you just got there in August. You need more time with Jared Goff. We'll see. I just think that the Rams, if they're smart, they don't go down that road without trying to bank on a receiver again. They, what they could do, even if they want to do that, if they want to go that route, franchise him this year. If he doesn't turn out, let him go. And I tell you what, if he doesn't do well this year, this next year's schedule is a gauntlet. If he, if they don't make that number one receiver thing happen this year, they're not going to finish very well next year anyway. So they're going to be early in the draft. It's just, just, just take the shot on him. Yeah, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he did say that he was enjoying his role, and that's not something you have to say. You could say like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm good." You don't have to be like, "Yeah, I like my role." And I, it, I'm pretty sure that's something he said, and that's a positive. And also, if his numbers next year aren't great. You know, like you said, you, if if you could watch the film and see those routes and know that he is a, a wide receiver one, 
other scouts are going to know that, and I don't think his money is going to disappear. I think he'll maybe he won't get franchise receiver money, but he's going to get a healthy contract. It's hard to imagine that unless he's a colossal failure next year that a Robert Woods-type contract isn't out there for him at the least, whether it's from us or not. Well, sure, and the argument that some of us will make, though, in media is that well, Sportrack says $5.9 million. Well, who are the people that really set the value? You're, you're talking about numbers in comparison with numbers. Numbers being stats versus money. GMs aren't, aren't worrying about that. They're worrying about this scene on film. They're, they're the ones in the end who will set the market. This is why year in and year out you'll see a site like Sportrack, which still has value, gives you an idea of where to start. Okay, don't get me wrong on that. But... Many, many a times, you'll see sites like that set a value, and then teams go out there and pay much higher. Janoris Jenkins and Rodney McLeod are the same thing. They were, they were, I believe, three to four million dollars per year lower on those sites. Yeah, in terms of market value, than what the Eagles and Giants gave them, because in the end, it's the teams that set the value. They're the ones that make the call, not these analytics sites. They still have value. This is not me criticizing them, but I'm not going to, we cannot base contracts off of, well, you know, Sportrack says he's only worth $5.9 million. So if we can't pay six for him, we're not, we just let him go. That's not how it works. And the Sportrack value thing, just to give a little clarity on it, it's based on age, contract status, and statistical production over the last two years. So for Watkins, it's the year that he only played eight games and last year where his value was bigger than his numbers, even though he did have eight touchdowns, which is good. But again, so the, when it comes down to it, it's still, it's still numbers. It's numbers versus numbers. Yeah, it's a flawed, it's flawed value. So, all right. So, I think I, I'm guessing folks have had enough of hearing us rant. So, Steve, you want to tell them where to find us? You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, iHeartRadio. Hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. We appreciate them. We're pushing towards 100. Find us on ramstalk.net. Check out our articles. A lot of draft stuff coming up. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Rivera. Follow Derek at Derek C. Apollo. Did I hit it all? Oh, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter itself at Talk Rams. At Talk Rams, of course. All right. So, for Steve Rivera, this is Derek C. Apollo. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.